Welcome to the Scaling Tech Podcast, where we help you manage your growing engineering team. Through expert interviews, we help you navigate the challenges of leading, hiring, growing, and nurturing your tech team to deliver the value your customers demand. Brought to you by agilityfeet.com, experts in staffing engineering teams in Latin America for clients globally. I have a feeling that too often there are things not addressed because maybe you expect me uh, to fix things because, let's face it, I am the face and the brand and, and, and I have the name and so on. So for a number of things, they were too hesitant to pick things up uh, as a team, expecting that I would be guiding and leading actively. And I said, I don't want that. I, I, I cannot do everything for everyone and it makes me very unhappy as well. So I deliberately stepped back even further and said, I don't want to even participate in the meetings anymore. You have them with each other. Um, just ask me when you want me to be there. And we are now two months further and things have, are so much better. Uh, they, 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 they thanked me in the retro just earlier this, this week for thanks for stepping back and forcing us to uh, address the problems head on ourselves and we're having so much fun now. You see, I wrote about this a long time ago. Welcome to the Scaling Tech Podcast, the podcast for leaders of growing software engineering teams. I'm Aaron Syme here with my co-host, David Alfaro. David, what do you think is the biggest challenge when scaling agile teams? Well, I mean, the challenges I've personally faced um, are beyond the fact of finding the talent. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, once you have the talent, it, two, two, two fundamentals. The first is um, how you empower the team members of the team. Mm -hmm. uh, without empowerment, the team is not able to grow by, by itself. You cannot separate yourself from them and allow the company to grow and find other people to do things for, for you. Uh, that topic is important for me. And, and the second one is uh, similar, but it's not the same, coaching. Mm -hmm. How do you do the coaching um, as the company grows? At the beginning, it's 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 manageable to do it by yourself, risky, but manageable. But once you grow, how, how, how do you deal with that? So uh, those two fundamentals were covered in this, or are covered in this episode, and I'm very happy with the answers uh, that we got. Yeah, no, I think it's that's a really good a point because, uh, you know, scaling technical systems is, is, is hard, but there are many, when we're talking about like the the technical aspects of scaling a software system. There's many engineering practices that can be applied to help teams deploy and scale software better in the cloud. And But I think it's harder to scale human systems, mm -hmm. right? And, and Agile does a, a great job. Agile methods do a great job in general of kind of like encouraging innovation and strong, communica strong communication in small teams. Uh, and there's been many different methods tried for uh, how to scale those principles across an organization, but scaling those small team principles, you know, across a larger enterprise is really difficult. Um, and, you know, if, as you said, if you don't have empowered teams, you don't have a way to build that into the organization. You know, I think the scaling is going to be really hard. It's going to be limited by the manager. 
you know, or, or multiple managers in that organization. Exactly. So, yeah, so I, I think our conversation today with Jurgen Apollo, uh, we looked at his unfixed model for scaling teams. We talked about many of those challenges, and I think it was a really interesting conversation. So let's get to our interview with Jurgen Apollo. Jurgen Apollo is an author, speaker, and entrepreneur who helps innovative organizations survive and thrive in the 21st century. He's the founder of the Unfix Model and organizer of the annual conference UnfixCon, which focuses on organizational design for continuous innovation and better human experience. Jurgen's books include the best-selling book Management 3.0, as well as numerous other titles, including How to Change the World, Managing for Happiness, and Startup, Scale-Up, Screw-Up. Welcome to the Scaling Tech Podcast, Jurgen. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, let's start by talking a little bit more about the Unfix model. Uh, the uh, website, unfix.com, says that Unfix is not another agile scaling framework, not a method, and not a process. So what is it, and why is scaling Agile so hard? <laughs> wow, you get right to the, the, the crux of the <laughs> Right to the meat of it. <laughs> um, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the frameworks that we have seen in the last decade or so in the Agile community, uh, of which one particular one is rather famous, the Scaled Agile Framework, but it's not the only one, of course. Um, right. they, they wrap good practices, common sense advice, things that work for certain companies in certain contexts. Um, that's the good part, but the bad part is that I don't like the packaging. I don't mm -hmm. like how they are offered, rolled out, implemented is even a word that is used in, uh, in certain roadmaps. And I thought I want to do the same way, but the same thing, but in a different way. <laughs> um, how can I offer people the good suggestions from good uh, uh, authors and, and good sources around the world, but in a way that is not a framework? And then I came up with, uh, well, actually, I found the concept of the pattern library, which is not a new thing. Uh, so Chakracy 3.0 and team topologies and liberating structures and others are pattern libraries. Um, they distinguish themselves from frameworks in the sense that they don't mandate anything. Everything mm -hmm. is optional. Everything is a suggestion, something for you to try. And that is the key difference for me between uh, a set of patterns versus a framework because the word framework contains the word frame, which implies that you have something static, something that doesn't change, that keeps everything together. Um, I'm Dutch. Uh, we have a lot of bicycles here in my country, more bicycles than people actually. Uh, we know all about uh, frames, bicycle frames. The frames keep the bicycles together. <laughs> That's the point of the frame. Uh, and um, that's how indeed SAFE and other frameworks are offered. The, in, in fact, the smallest version of SAFE is called Essential SAFE. They even added the word essential before it <laughs> to, to clarify that all of that is mandatory, what they describe, that this is the frame right. the framework. So I want something different, uh, a, a, a collection, a toolbox, a library of options and Pattern library is the best description that I have. 
I like that phrase pattern library for it. And it, and it seems very agile to me, right? It fits because, and, and this is the challenge that I think we've all faced whenever we've tried to scale agile beyond a single team is that, um, you know, agile is inherently about small teams and efficiencies within that small teams, you know, Scrum and, and Kanban and other methods were not necessarily designed with large teams or large enterprises in mind. And when you get to that scale, certainly given that most managers are, managers are still uh, and executives and engineering leaders are probably still fairly traditionally educated, they're looking for a prescription, right? But, but Agile is not necessarily meant to be a prescription. Um, it's more like guardrails, I think, right? So it's hard to... Um, it's, it's, it's hard, I think, how to inherently see how to scale that. And, and so I understand the, the reasons people try to come up with frameworks, but I like that phrase pattern library much better. Uh, can, can you talk more about the complexities of um, you know, agile scaling frameworks and, and what are some of the gaps in those other uh, frameworks which the unfixed pattern library addresses? Well, um, let's begin with what Agile originally is, as defined in the Agile Manifesto, as Ron Jeffrey said, we were not trying to solve all the problems in the whole universe. Uh, they were focusing on, on team-oriented uh, challenges, uh, small-scale um, uh, software products that they Try, where they try to improve the, the way of working and it make total sense. They were not trying to improve how enterprises of 100,000 people um, uh, improve their way of working. That was out of scope. Uh, but of course, that is the next thing that we have been trying to tackle in the last decade or more because, yeah, we've proven that Agile works at that small scale, been there, done that, even though for some people it's still a challenge, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, yeah, the next question is how do we do this at scale? But this was not covered by the Agile Manifesto. In fact, the Agile Manifesto itself doesn't scale because it relies on trust and respect and, and psychological safety and people knowing each other. You cannot feel psychologically safe among 100,000 people. You cannot just trust 100,000 people around you. The human brain is not wired uh, to do that. So even though we need the same principles and values like a, a continuous uh, adaptation uh, and so on, you cannot just tell 100,000 people, okay, good luck, go forth and self-organize. That is called anarchy, and anarchy has proven not to work in certain countries. Uh, we need a bit of governance. We need some, some guidance, some guardrails, as you said, some structure to, to enable self-organization. Well, I've, I've, I've mentioned this in Manchester at all, uh, a long time ago, where I said the job of the managers is to put constraints on self-organization let a thousand flowers bloom, but someone needs to be the gardener. Um, and um, well, fast forward, I, I noticed that the way the frameworks try to approach this um, with best intentions, um, I can be critical, but let's admit that there are good people behind them trying to good, do a good job. Um, I found them not very compelling in terms of organization design. In fact, they were rather weak in 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 their suggestions of how to structure 
enterprises and turn them from hierarchies into networks. Um, uh, as an example, uh, we all know um, the Spotify model, quote unquote, which has been used uh, surprisingly as a framework uh, across, across the world. Um, this introduced the concept of a matrix structure. The Spotify model is a matrix design. Well, if you read any book on organization design, um, the experts in that field have already discovered long ago that there are significant problems with matrices. Uh, <clears throat> when you organize yourself that way, you get a lot of middle managers who, who have to coordinate things among each other because every person has a project manager and a regional manager and a line manager and these managers will have to discuss their resources and so on. Um, so that is a known um, uh, anti-pattern, uh, actually. And then we advocate with um, the Spotify model to introduce matrix structures. So I saw that the advice in terms of organization design was a bit uh, a bit weak. So I, I tried to start there with what I call the unfix model as a pattern library. I first found some patterns for organization design. I borrowed a few from Team Topologies because these guys did a great job already identifying four patterns, but then I added a few more. And uh, that was the starting point of the unfix model, uh, basically, because I thought, uh, let's begin with something that everyone else does badly, which is uh, <laughs> how to, how to uh, put the guardrails on a network organization. And I seem to have done a decent job because it got a lot of attention. Also because I offered it as a pattern library, not as a framework. And then I'm now, since then I've branched out into other areas, um, goal setting and uh, reteaming uh, and other interesting um, interesting topics that people uh, need some need some advice uh, for. Absolutely. Uh, can you talk a little bit about a couple of the concepts in, in uh, Unfix, like crews and value streams, uh, perhaps? Yeah, so um, I use the word crew as an alternative for team. Uh, you can use team as far as I'm concerned, and I don't care. But the word team is has been so inflated, uh, or maybe the opposite, devalued <laughs> over the last uh, few decades. I, I heard someone refer to the company of 20,000 people as a team, uh, for example. And I thought, that's not a team, that's an enterprise. Uh, but that's how people use the word team for just about everything these days. Um, and in a pattern library, it is important that you come up with names that people that recognize, that give them the right feeling for what that pattern is about. And I thought the word crew is closer to what originally the word team should be, like an airline crew or the crew on, on a ship or whatever. They, they work together and they get customers from one place to the other. That's what, I, that's what, that's what crews uh, do. So I use the word crew um, in, in the pattern language. And um, the value stream crew is simply the pattern that identifies um, the, the, the stream-aligned team, as they call it, in team topologies, the scrum team, Kanban team, We've been there, done that. We know how that, how that works. That is one pattern. Um, another pattern is uh, the platform crew. That will be a, a, a crew that serves not out, uh, outside external customers, but our own internal customers who have their own value streams and need to be serviced to do that job better with 
better infrastructure or, or whatever. Um, one of my favorite examples, by the way, is uh, a company in Poland where uh, they had they have kindergarten on site. A relatively small company, 100 people, uh, lots of young ones, uh, young people, young employees with kids. And uh, the company provides uh, a nursery, a kindergarten in the basement. And well, that's a platform crew. You offer service to your own employees. <laughs> so the people working on the on that kindergarten, they are the platform, platform crew offering an internal service. That is a pattern in itself. And those are just two examples of, of of in total seven crew patterns that I have uh, identified. And let me let me uh, clarify just uh, for a moment. Nothing is invented by me. I just see what good stuff is happening out there. Um, and I, I, I take it, I, I credit the sources, I rename things every now and then because I think sometimes something a concept needs a better name in the pattern language, but you're free to use your own names, uh, of course, when you use the pattern. So, for example, the, the guild in the Spotify model, uh, that is called a forum in, in the Unfix uh, uh, language because a forum is a place where people get together to discuss something that 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 they care about and that they sometimes have to make decisions about so that they can take those decisions back to the crews where they came from could be a community of practice in your company could be a center of excellence it could be a, a business guild whatever you call them in the pattern language we call them forums it's the same, all the same thing <laughs> And so I think about the naming of stuff. I think about what what things are the same, what things are different. Some boundaries are fuzzy, of course. So I have to make decisions where to cut <laughs> cut things into multiple patterns, and that's sure. one. And yeah, people seem to find that useful uh, as a starting point for playing around and combining things in 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 their own way. Absolutely. You also place a lot of emphasis on uh, human experience uh, in your work. Yeah. Uh, you tell us a little bit more about that and how managers can improve the experience of their uh, their team members or their crew members. Yeah, well, it comes uh, in, in two flavors, basically. I, I find experience an important concept. Actually, that's what the X in Unfix is for, un, the unframework for uh, innovative experiences. Uh, that's how I came up with Unfix. Um, and uh, there's the, the experience toward customers and there's the experience toward employees. And um, um, to begin with the first one, um, uh, I think we have still a lot to learn in the Agile community when it comes to customer experience because there's a lot of focus on product. Uh, uh, product managers, product owners, product roadmaps, product planning, and so on. But customers are not interested in products. Customers are interested in their experiences and they hire products to get an experience. Um, like I just discussed with a friend this morning, which movie are we going to see? Barbie or uh, Oppenheimer <laughs> next? <laughs> it's probably going to be Barbie. <laughs> um, Oppenheimer next week. 
And um, that's an experience. Of course, it is a product ultimately that is being distributed and offered to people. But it, for me, it is an experiential thing as, right. as a customer. And we forget that sometimes when we focus on features and, and offering stuff, uh, bits and bytes and, and atoms to our customers, while well, actually they use those bits and bytes and atoms to have an experience. So I think that's an important thing. And then not only, as I said, and you pointed out to to towards customers, but also our own employees. We talk about the employee experience these days, the, the developer experience. Um, right. One of my favorite examples is uh, a, a company in Estonia, Pipedrive. Uh, they reached out to me just after I published uh, the, uh, the first version of the Unfix model. And they said, this looks suspiciously like what we have already been doing. And um, so we had a great conversation. I interviewed a number of people. And this became one of the first case studies that we published on our website. Because indeed, they had already implemented patterns that I had identified. And one thing that stood out was they specifically chose reteaming of employees. So not to have stable teams, but instead have people rotate continuously between teams because this improved the developer experience. This is what their employees wanted. Um, the, the, the background story is that Estonia is a rather small market and they have a couple of unicorn businesses there talking about Wise, Taxify, uh, Skype is from there, um, a few others, uh, Pipedrive and so on. So as you can imagine, they were buying each other's best engineers, basically. And that's, that's a race <laughs> to the bottom. Um, right. So they were trying to figure out what can we do instead of just keep raising salaries. Nobody will, will, will be happy with that, we need to offer a better experience. How can we make them stay? And they realized through conversations that developers, they, they wanted to choose what they could work on uh, instead of being told what to do by product uh, managers. And they wanted more variety in their work so that they could roam around and, and move from crew to crew. So they created their own framework. They literally call it a pipe drive agile framework using concepts that they borrowed from several sources, including Spotify, by the way, uh, in the same way that I borrowed the patterns from several sources. So they came to similar conclusions and then they created a reteaming approach that their developers were very happy with. And then people stopped leaving because it was not about raising salaries all the time. It was creating an environment that was a great experience for their most important people, which are the engineers uh, in their case. So I like that as an example that shows that it, experience is not only something that we need to care about for customers, but also internally for uh, our own our own employees. Now that makes sense that, you know, dealing with developer turnover, team turnover in general is is always an incredibly important topic. And we talked about reteaming with uh, Heidi Helfand in our um, second season. And, you know, it's it was a really interesting topic. And, and so I'm glad you address it as well, because it's, you know, a, a certain amount of team change, as we discussed with Heidi, is, is always is always going to be there, you know, whether it's being recruited away by somebody else or just, you know, changes in somebody's career. But yep. 
the more proactive you are about that, the better you deal with that, the more likely you're to improve retention. And when you can't retain someone, you you know, uh, uh, deal with that disruption better uh, within the organization. Yeah. And as I have, uh, and and these things just emerge over time. I mean, I, I was much uh, I was less smart 10 years ago when I published Manager 3.0. Um, and uh, um, um, I was one of those people who said, uh, you have to keep your teams together, keep them stable. Otherwise, uh, you ruin your velocity or throughput or whatever if people have to go through those those phases of forming, storming, norming, performing. The Tuckman model that you're probably familiar with, even though it's not right. scientific, uh, it, it, it has a point. Um, and then later I realized, and Heidi was one of the first ones to point it out, that actually you can separate these concerns as they do with airline crews. The airline crew is different on each flight. They, they make different combinations of people, but they pull those people from a rather small pool, which is a larger team, but still a team of let's say 20, 30, 40 people, they all know each other. They know how to work with each other. They know about families and kids and hobbies and and whatever. And it's like, hey, it's great to see you again on this flight. Uh, And let's catch up. Last time was a month ago that we were together. Um, And so they form this bigger team and they do the forming, storming, norming, performing at that level. They have psychological Mm -hmm. safety and trust and respect at that larger team level. So you can separate those out. You have the larger, what I call the base, which is 20, 30, maybe 50 people. It doesn't scale to 4,000, that's for sure. It is a relatively small number of people. The Agile Manifesto applies 100% to that unit. But then within that, you can make recombinations all the time, depending on specific missions that have to be done for which you need specific talent or specific people. And mm-hmm. that that gives a whole new uh, gives you whole new possibilities uh, for how you design your small small business. So that is an example of unfixing, right? This this fixed idea of we have to have stable teams was because of our a misconception of what a team is. Actually, a team is multiple things. It is that unit where you feel safe and 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 respected and so on. Well, that is the larger team. And then there's the team that gets something done. Well, that's the smaller team. And there, there's the, there you see reteaming emerge as another option by just combining patterns in, in a different way. Absolutely. All right, let's pause here for an ad break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Jurgen Apollo about innovation and management. Building custom WebRTC video applications is hard, but your go live doesn't have to be stressful. We thought we were ready to launch our video application, but we discovered it's a lot harder than we thought. Live video applications are not like building other web or mobile apps. Our team worked hard out there today, but we just didn't have all the right pieces. I'll tell you what we should have done. We should have brought in the live video experts from WebRTC Ventures. If you're building a live video application, then trust the experts at WebRTC.Ventures to help you design, build, test, deploy, and manage your custom-built application, or integrate live video into your existing application. Contact us today at WebRTC.Ventures. All right, welcome back to the Scaling Tech Podcast and we'll continue our conversation with Jürgen Apollo. Uh, David, uh, what do you think of our conversation so far with Jürgen? 
Yeah, I've, I've been meditating about the Amphix uh, model, and, and uh, I've noticed that uh, when you see the description of the model, it's very explicit and something important that is uh, it's focused on empowering employees. And that makes me remember Jurgen's book, uh, I think chapter seven, uh, when, he, when Jude Jurgen talk, talk about uh, empowerment precisely. Uh, in, in there you mentioned empowerment um, uh, um, or two axes for applying empowerment. The first was uh, different levels of empowerment maturity, the low, moderate, and high, and then authority uh, from tail to delegate. Has that view uh, been unfixed <laughs> by now with, uh, with your experience? Hmm. This change. Interesting question. No, I think that I still feel pretty much the same about that. <laughs> about empowerment and and uh, delegating authority um and i i uh, i have a just a recent um experience with my own team uh, actually uh, where i i noticed there were a couple of uh, problems and not everyone was very happy about things were going how things were going and um the the standard manager would probably roll up their sleeves and to try to solve those problems but mm -hmm. I have written a book on uh, Manager Zero and, <laughs> and uh, similar topics. And I thought, you know what? Um, I'm not going to do this. Um, maybe the problems exist because I am here. Maybe I should just step back um, and let them fix it. Uh, so that's what, exactly what I suggested. I said, I, I have a feeling that too often there are things not addressed because maybe you expect me uh, to fix things because, mm -hmm. let's face it, I am the face and the brand and, 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 and I have the name and so on. So for a number of things, they were too hesitant to pick things up uh, as a team, expecting that I would be guiding and leading actively and i said i don't want that I, I i cannot do everything for everyone and it makes me very unhappy as well so i deliberately stepped back even further and said i don't want to even participate in the meetings anymore you have them with each other <laughs> um just ask me when you want me to be there and we are now two months uh, further and things have are so much better uh, right. They they they, right. they thanked me in the retro just earlier this this week for thanks for stepping back and forcing us to uh, address the problems head on ourselves and we're having so much fun now and I thought you see I wrote about this right right long right. time yeah, ago I remember and I remember once Erin and I we had a I I don't remember the specifics Erin but I, we had a, yeah. a situation where uh, a developer was all the time was complaining all the time about things. Mm -hmm. and, and at what moment we decided, you know what? Why just, why why don't you go beyond being part of the problem and now become part of the solution? And and you propose a solution and you go <laughs> to it. <laughs> right, uh, right. I mean, he, he was so used to, uh, I mean, it, it, I, I think that implicitly he had, automatized that part of his role 
mm-hmm. job description was to cause problems or, or just to <laughs> identify problems. To elevate um, problems, but never to solve elevate problems. <laughs> right, right. Uh, now, th- that takes me to another question. How do you know? No. It's, this is a magic question, I think. How do you know when a team is ready for more empowerment or an employee or a person? How, how do you deal with that process? Because maybe you don't know up front, but you want to try. Yeah, you don't. Um, I don't believe you. No. Right. No. You're just, you're just yeah, so, so how, do we, how do you do it? Well, how do you know that someone's ready for swimming? You just push, right, exactly. You just push yeah, them in the I mean, water yeah. and make sure they don't drown. <laughs> that's that's yeah. That's how right, you do that. Right. I mean, you you can't know by uh, testing them with a, with a with a an, an online form or a checklist or whatever. No, you just push them in and make sure that they don't drown. That there's a safety mechanism. That there's a safe to fail environment. You observe and and get ready to to help out when things are not not working well. That's that's in almost any complex environment. You cannot right. test anyone right. before before pushing them in. So um, that's the way to do it. I, I, I said I have. Uh, I, I actually said that I, I don't even know if I have the right team. Um, but uh, the, we have a couple of options. Uh, um, either I hire a different team, or I we, we continue with the same team and we see how things work out. Uh, and or I do everything myself. Well, the last was not an option, um, and hiring a different team was far too much trouble. Uh, for, as far as I'm concerned, a rather safe thing to do is is continue with the current team and allow them to prove themselves by pushing them in the water and stepping back and making sure that well that no real drastic things can happen because one thing I reserved for myself, I make all the payments. I still control the bank account. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so so anything that they spend, they want to spend, but I, I make the payment for whatever they want to want want to want to have. And that's just there's a very simple thing that you reserve for as a business owner that makes sense. Um, and there's one or two uh, things like like that that I, that I uh, still have control of, but almost you know, 99% is is in their hands. Um, well, and, uh, yeah, yeah I, that. I can see how all of this comes or boils down to the fact that in a, in the in in an agile environment, you uh, you want to. Uh, to create a safe environment for experimentation, and empowerment is by itself an, an experimentation, as we are stating it here. So it is an experimentation for you as a business owner. Is okay. I'm going to try this empowerment um, um, trick here and see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, it is not that you're forgetting about it. Is that you you're paying attention, but you're letting them to come up with a solution. Uh, and it might work. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, I, I like it. it. It reminds me too of um, uh, a, a concept. I think in your management 3.0 book, um, Jurgen, where you talked about the agile blind spot of um, the the problem in agile, sort of an, an, an unstated assumption, perhaps, is that agile is great only when the teams are great uh, themselves. And, and we can't just assume that that any team 
is automatically going to be great just by, you know, applying an agile, any agile methodology mm-hmm. to them. Right. And, and it's like it's something I've, I've always thought about and, and sort of profess to people too, is, is, um, the idea that like, you know, any, any methodology agile or otherwise is not going to solve problems. What a lot of agile methodology methodologies are good at, I think is, is elevating those problems and making them more obvious. You know, when you're seeing a blocker happen all the time, then you know, that has to be dealt with. And if that blocker is a person, that person maybe has to be dealt with too. Right. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about how you, how you think about forming a team um, and in particularly teams involved in innovation work too, because I know you, you talk a lot about innovation as well. Yeah. Um, well, that's an interesting one. Um, I am of, um, of a mind that the, um, the, uh, the innovative capability is uh, not so much in individual people, but uh, is a result and emerging outcome of the interaction between them. And I think there is some research, some evidence backing this up. Google has done, has contributed their share with their uh, research that they published a couple of a couple of years ago that showed that it doesn't matter that much which people you have on a team. It matters a lot how they behave towards each other uh, when you measure them for their productivity and their innovative. Uh, the capability and I, I believe in that so you could almost say um you can hire just about anyone as long as they of course they have a minimum amount of experience and 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 the talent but you don't need the best in the industry that is that is such a cliche um you just need you need good people who are pretty good at collaborating with each other and that is the challenge how do you enable that those interactions between them so that something innovative emerges. Uh, um, um, I am an entrepreneur. I try stuff. I always say uh, I'm not the best one out there. I'm pretty good at writing about it. (laughs) Um, Like uh, the the sports commentators are rarely the best sports people themselves, (laughs) but they're pretty good at observing and documenting and telling everyone about what is or what is not good sport um i am in that league um, i love commenting and observing and writing uh, etc i also try my own stuff but i'm not the best entrepreneur or the most innovative person in in the world but i enjoy it at the same time to play the sport as well as documenting and observing what other people do but my business my real business is is being the, the commentator right the, 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 Right, uh, the observer, so that I share what is good and what is not, while dabbling a bit <laughs> in my own kitchen at the same at the same time. Um, so yeah, I, I try with my own team, and we have some successes. And some people say the unfixed model is pretty innovative compared to what else is out there. So well, um, I guess we should take that as a compliment. Um, and um, but. Uh, Coming back to your question, yeah, it's it's in the interaction of the people, and it's uh, the magic formula. I don't have the magic formula for that. Uh, what is the magic formula for creating a fantastic garden? Well, there is some advice on good soil and, and nutrition and sunlight and so on, but 
as for the rest, the ecosystem has to do the, the most of the job. <laughs> and sometimes right. things just don't work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I, I saw a little bit about, I'd love to hear more from you is um, when you've talked about innovation beyond just IT and technology, um, a concept you call the innovation vortex. Um, how, and, you know, how does, uh, explain that a little bit for us and, and how, um, like for our audience is a lot of engineering managers in particular, what is their role in helping to keep the organization innovative? Well, I think we come back to the experience thing. Um, let me let me give you an example uh, to uh, maybe um, uh, drives things uh, home a bit uh, more effectively. Um, I was on a, a small airplane earlier this year in, in, in Suriname, small country in the north of South America. My, my partner is from there. And uh, we went into the jungle for a couple of days because the country is 95% uh, jungle, the northern part of the Amazon. Uh, so, of course, you visit uh, the jungle. And we were on a small chestnut uh, 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 plain. And, uh, of course, we got a sandwich because that's what you expect as a, as a, a, a flyer, right? You go on a plane, you, you get something to eat. That is a standard requirement, basically. No matter how bad the, the snack is, you want something <laughs> given to you. So, yeah, we got a sandwich. And uh, I noticed when I sat in the plane, there were only eight people on the plane, uh, that nobody was eating their sandwich. Um, everyone was looking out the window. Why? Because the plane is flying so low that you can see everything. We could literally see the birds flying uh, fr uh, uh, from tree to tree. And then we were like, for one hour, we were like, whoa, amazing. Wow, this is awesome. Taking pictures and video. And then I thought, it occurred to me, why did nobody clean the windows? <laughs> the windows were dirty of that plane. It was hard to take good photos with all the mud and, and everything uh, on it. And I thought, this is an experience thing. This is exactly what, 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 what I find important. We do the standard stuff. Customers ask for something to eat on the plane because they think that that is what they want. So we deliver, we give that to them. Feature done, check mark. They have the sandwich in their their hand, but nobody's actually watching the experience. What is the experience for people? They fly low over the jungle. They want photos and video to show to their families. And if we clean the windows, maybe they take better photos and better video and more people will come uh, next time. That would be someone with a mind for, for uh, exploration and experimentation for the, the customer experience. So if you ask me what is the role of, of engineers or, or, or whatever, I think it is watching and understanding what is the real experience here, the lived experience, our product, plays a role in someone's life. But um, ultimately, someone has an experience that is, that is good or not. And how can we make sure that through our product, we improve that experience that this product has, uh, that enables in their lives. And then sometimes you get to very different solutions. Now, sometimes we talk about that. I mean, we try a little bit with user story formats, for example, uh, getting 
toward the why behind a feature, but we're not really good at it in the Agile community. Actually, there's another community called the Jobs To Be Done community. They are far ahead of us. They, they, they understand uh, that products have a job to do. They call that the job to be done. And that job is to enable an experience for someone. So it's a, this is a topic dear to my heart. I complain about bad experience all day long. <laughs> Just this afternoon when I tried to pay with my phone, with my banking app, and again, the app didn't work. And I said, I, I literally have to carry my plastic card with me just in case the banking app does not work. So that defeats the whole purpose of having the app on my phone. If I have to take the card with me anyway, I might as well use the card all the time. <laughs> right. So I, I'm, yeah, that's, that's something that I, I, I try to develop an eye for, for, for experiences, how products impact me as, as a consumer of whether it's consumer products or business products it, it, it does right I, I love the story of the dirty windshield uh, in, uh or the dirty window on the airplane impacting the experience because i think that for engineering leaders in particular because uh if you know we're trained perhaps as software developers or uh you know a technical mindset of some Sometimes it drives us to think so much about individual features and and a very product driven mindset, uh, which I you know I guess we'd say like thinking only about the technology is, is you know thinking about the product as a whole is better than thinking only about the technology. But if we're only thinking about the product and not the experience around it and the user's experience around it, then that's you know that's uh, that's going to stifle innovation right the 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 more that we think about that larger experience beyond the product not just that a sandwich is expected on the airplane exactly and we can, and, we can um, think more and the airplane is is one example but i can offer countless examples in software product one one of my pet peeves is invoices of SaaS products for example you'd be amazed at how many products on a monthly basis I actually have to log in with two-factor authentication, <laughs> drill down to some billing invoicing menu three layers deep to get to the invoice that they are yeah. obliged to give me. But they, they see that as enabling a feature. So yeah, ticking the box, we have an invoice available for customers. But the experience is that I spend half an hour of my time getting to those invoices and then Right. emailing them one by one first saving them on my local drive and then forwarding them <laughs> and like, it's it's so easy to just send them to me by email preferably right. to an email address that i can add to the system so it goes directly to my bookkeeping system and then i don't even have to think about it anymore about those invoices. Yeah. they go straight to the accountant it is such a simple thing to make but no product manager seems to prioritize this because they think in terms of product and not experience and the product has the invoice available so done <laughs> and yeah i hate that yeah. I, I i netlify and zero it is obscure where the invoices actually are and i forget every single time where they yeah. are <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I hate them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and David and I were both vigorously nodding our heads during that. You know, as business owners, we get that. I mean, I was, I was for forwarding an, an unnecessary invoice just before we started recording this conversation, and then, you know, how many other invoices? I have no idea. You know, I see the the, the charge perhaps in the bank account, but actually knowing, you know. Which of our accounts is that charge for? <laughs> Why do we have multiple accounts? You know, with that company, right? It, it, right, it just right. creates all these really wasteful conversations, right? In, yeah. in the organization, but uh, so yeah, I, you, you're you're definitely speaking uh, to me there. <laughs> I, to mention this is that um, how to develop competence in organization through seven approaches: self development, coaching, certification. Pe- peer pressure, adaptable tools, supervision, and management. Um, the, the, the one that is always interesting for me is coaching. Coaching, mentoring, and managing. Uh, because those focuses on skills, tasks, mentoring, on career and life. Uh, so so it's, it's always interesting for me. So maybe that part in particular. So how... How how do we? Uh, what is your approach for incorporating coaching in inside the entire process uh, that runs our organizations? Hmm. Um, well, the the first thing comes to mind, and maybe that's a bit off track or related. I don't know. That's for you to judge. But um, one thing that I noticed that I often refer to management 2.0 is that the manager is assumed to be also the coach of people, that this is a management thing to coach and develop and support their uh, direct reports, quote unquote. I hate that term, by the way. Um, um, uh, I think that's wrong because this um, assumes that the manager is in a position that they are able to coach and mentor or whatever other people in the, the stuff that they are doing. Um, and that, in, that sort of um, reinforces a power distance, a, a, a hierarchical uh, thing in the organization that where you say on the one hand, we want to empower people, they want them to self-organize, but by the way, the manager is going to be their servant leader and, and support them and coach them. Then still that manager is in people's heads is at, a, at another layer. I say uh, coaching is important, but there, there needs to be a coaching capability in the organization. And I don't see that as a responsibility of the manager. Uh, herself or himself so uh, actually it probably would be better if it was not the manager but someone else who was there to coach mentor or whatever their peers it could be in a peer-to-peer manner uh, in in the organization i think it is a responsibility of management to make sure that when people desire coaching or where they need coaching that they make sure that that person is there for them and try not to do it themselves. Uh, I had a conversation just a few days ago that if if part of the coaching conversation is discussing the career of an employee and that employee has set their eyes on the job of their manager, 
would that be something they would like to discuss with their manager? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe they want a confidant, <laughs> uh, someone who is a neutral party, to discuss these career ideas in a way that does not require the manager to be aware of what an employee would like to do. So I am all in favor of one-on-ones and 360s and so on, but I do not believe that by default, the manager is the one to do all this. Also, it doesn't scale that well. I, I, I get the question every now and then of people who say, well, well, how can we, uh, how can your, your model, uh, uh, why you suggest that there should be no managers on any of the crews, which is one of my uh, pet peeves. You don't want managers on crews because then you create territories, basically. The managers should only be in the governance crew. And there's one particular crew that would be the management team. And then people said to me, well, well, how does that scale? Because you have only a few people there and you could have 100 people in, in your base. And then I say, well, if, if you don't know how to do that, you're just really, really bad at delegating because you're assuming that the managers have to do everything from deciding on salaries and, and personal development plans and coaching and mentoring and 360s and one-on-ones. Yeah, that doesn't scale if the manager has to do all that. <laughs> so delegate it. Make sure there is a coach, a mentor, that there is a, a way to discuss salaries without having a manager decide on, on how much it is per person. I don't decide per person how much everyone gets on my team. I only decide on the budget. So I know how much it is in total. That's the only thing that I care about. How much per month in total we wire as salaries, as, as wages. But per person, I don't care as long as they're happy. So we created a system where they discuss that with each other and they're actually going to rediscuss because they're not happy with what they have chosen half a year ago. <laughs> so fine with me. I don't care because the only thing that matters to me is the total, which will be the same as long as they're happy about the outcome. It's, it's fine for me. So you have to delegate a lot, including coaching, in my opinion. And um, I think with a very small team such as we have, I, you, you don't hire a coach if you only have five people. That's that's too much. Uh, that's, it's a bit uh, unnecessary. It's more peer-to-peer. -peer. But as soon as you get to double digits, probably you need someone who has coaching capability. Let me summarize it. So it's good to delegate the coaching uh, so it is not the same person as the management side. F number one, for number one, because it could be a conflict of interests between the coachee and, and the coach. Uh, no, the coachee and the manager. <laughs> uh, it is not scalable uh, to the coaching if if he is the same person as the manager. And the third is. Uh, can I say, like, like maybe um, could be difficult for the manager to 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 draw the boundary between manage the the, the management role and the coaching role? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds it's, good. Uh, could be. I mean, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I mean, it is maybe I am so maybe I could be so maybe because I am not a coach or I am not trained as a coach, I could be so lenient where I shouldn't be lenient, mm -hmm. uh, and I. 
that could make a mess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm a really, really bad coach. Um, there, maybe that mm. is also, also a reason right. why I prefer to delegate it. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> there's some things I'm good at, uh, but um, I'm pretty bad at, at uh, observing people and understanding and, and them and, and empathizing and psychology and sociology. Uh, I like writing right. about it. I see the importance of it at a meta level. But at a personal interrelational level, I suck. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> right. I prefer to yeah. delegate it to someone who does a good job there. Well, yeah. I think that's incredibly important trait in any manager, right? To recognize what your individual strengths and weaknesses mm -hmm. are and delegate that to others. I mean, in, in my case, for instance, I'm not great at doing one-on-ones or keeping up with that, but I see the importance of it. So I have that delegated to others in the organization who do that better than I do. And, yeah. you know, I think the organization has benefited from that delegation. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and and speaking of delegation, I, I want to call out, a, you know, praise the, the comment you gave earlier about uh, kind of stepping away from meetings and saying, don't, you know, just invite me if you need me to this. But I don't want to automatically be there and, and how freeing that is both for the leader. Uh, as well as, even more importantly, the team that, that the leader is trying to empower. Um, I've definitely seen a lot of benefit of, of taking that approach more myself, of, of just saying, you know, let me know if you need me there, but otherwise, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm stepping away from it entirely. You know, mm -hmm. you, you all can handle this without me. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. I've definitely seen our team grow and mature with, without my loud voice in the room. Uh, in, in a lot of situations like that. So uh, we're, we're reaching the end of our time here, unfortunately, but this has been a great conversation, Jürgen. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, David, do you have any final questions uh, now, before we wrap up? Just a lot of gratitude for being here, uh, yeah. Jürgen. Thank you. I Thanks appreciate the it. invite. Appreciate it. Yeah, I share the gratitude as well. Thank you so much, Jürgen. And how can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about your work? Well, one thing I was happy about when I came up with the name Unfix was that the domain name was still available. I could buy it. <laughs> so Unfix.com. It couldn't be easier. <laughs> uh, I hope people uh, open up the browser and type it in and then, uh, yeah, start exploring. Actually, a lot of stuff is going to happen uh, uh, in the next few weeks after the recording. Um, once the the podcast come out as i understand it it will all be there so make sure you check out the latest version of the unfix.com website and uh, reach out if you have any questions excellent we certainly will thank you so much for your time jürgen really enjoyed having you here today on the scaling tech podcast thanks Arin. thanks david it was a pleasure thanks for joining us on the scaling tech podcast where we help you manage your growing engineering team brought to you by agilityfeet.com experts in staffing engineering teams in Latin America for clients globally. For more information on today's episode and to submit your ideas for future guests, please visit scalingtechpod.com.